So it is uh, my absolute honour and privilege to be here uh, to be speaking to you and continuing on with our Love Much series. Our pastor kicked this off a couple of weeks ago, um, speaking about the most important relationship we have in our lives, and that is the relationship that we have with God, how to love God more, how to love God better. And you know, it is absolutely the number one relationship we have in our lives. He went on last week and raised the bar yet again with another uh, powerful message about loving in the home and spoke about our relationships in the home, our spouses, our kids, and how we can love better in those relationships as well. And again, very, very important information, which I hope you've been applying. I know that both of those messages challenged me in my relationships with God and also with the people in my home. And this week, I'm going to be continuing on and talking about loving others. That's the title today. That's the topic that we're going to be speaking about today. And loving others, this is something that some of us do very, very well with some people. But very few of us do well with everybody. If I was to ask each and every one of you, is there somebody in your life that you love well? You could probably tell me yes, without too much hesitation. But if I said to you, do you love everybody in your life well? Well, at least there would be hesitation. And truthfully, you're probably not going to be able to say yes to that. So this message is going to challenge you today. And hopefully, at the end of this message, you're not going to just go away with a clear idea of what it is that God wants from you in this area, but also some ideas of how to go about achieving it. And I say that because loving people well is something that I believe we are, each and every one of us, capable of. I believe that we can do it. We are capable of doing that. And I use the word doing advisedly because doing is an action word. Love is a doing word. We are called to love, and that is absolutely an action. When we hear the word love, it's very easy for us to think about the sentimental side of the word. It can bring thoughts of uh, sweet, warm feelings and roses and, and chocolates and gifts and cards and cuddles on the sofa. And all of these things are definitely associated with love. They can be used to display love to somebody. But love is more than just about emotion and feelings. Love is an action word. In fact, love being displayed properly will often go completely against the way that we feel in that moment. Love being displayed properly can happen when we're upset or angry or disappointed or even afraid. True love often defies how we feel, and that's because of this. True love is not a feeling. It's a choice. True love is not a feeling. It's a choice. We have a choice. It's a choice to love and display love to somebody, irrespective of whoever that someone is to us or not. Whoever that someone is and whatever that someone has done for us or not. Even whatever that someone has done to us or not. We have the choice to love that someone, whether they deserve our love or not. So I'm going to touch more on that point a little bit later. But before that, I want to underline the fact that every person here has the ability to love much when it comes to others. And at the same time, I'm going to show you how important it is to God that we do that very thing. In the book of Matthew, chapter 22, it's a very powerful chapter. And this is where the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're basically tag-teaming against Jesus. And they're all trying to catch Jesus out. The Bible says that they met together. This is the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. 
So the Pharisees take the first try in the morning, and Jesus slaps them down. The Sadducees, they give it the best shot in the afternoon, and again, Jesus answers in such a way that we're told that it made the crowds astounded at his teaching. So then one of the Pharisees steps up and tries attempt number three, and here's what happens. Teacher, says the Pharisee, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus answers the question by telling the Pharisee what the most important commandment is, and then a second commandment, which is just as important. And then he stresses how important both are by saying that the entire law of Moses are based on these two commandments. But before I expand on that point, I want you to notice this. These commandments include a general and non-specific, unqualified you. You must... He says, you must love the Lord your God. You must love others. You must. It doesn't say you must if you are capable. It doesn't say you must if you feel like it. It doesn't say you must if things are going perfectly well for you right now. Or if you're in a good mood with God right now. Or if you're in a good mood with the people that you are speaking to right now. It just says you must. So what does that tell me? Well, as far as this verse goes... I'm a you, and you are a you. I'm capable, in God's eyes, of doing these things, and so are you. So what does that tell me? It tells me that whether I do these things or not is a choice that I make. That's what it tells me. God says I'm capable to do these things. So if I'm not doing them, by definition, it's nothing to do with God. It's nothing to do with my capabilities. It's all about me whether I'm choosing to do that or not. So how important is it that I make the choice to love others much? Well, let's look again at verse 39. Jesus says, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Equally important as what? Equally important as the most important commandment in the law of Moses. So safe to say it's pretty important. God wants you to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and at the same time and with just as much importance love others. So we've established clearly that God wants us to love others. We've established clearly that God believes each and every one of us has the ability to do it. And we've established that whether we do it or not is a matter of choice. Everybody with me so far? So God wants me to love others. God believes I'm capable of doing so and I need to choose to do it. But once I've made that choice, once I've decided to love others much, what does that look like? How should I do it? Well, Jesus answers that question for us in the book of John. He says this, John 13, 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So how should we love others? We should love them as Jesus has loved us. Plain and simple. Jesus is clearly saying here, I've modeled how to love Now go do it. And that's how people are going to know that you are my disciples. People are supposed to know that we are Christians by seeing the way that we love one another. Wow. Imagine that somebody's been following you around every moment of every hour of every day for the last week. 
Can I get an O Lord? Imagine that. Now let me ask you this. Is that person going to be able to look at you, having watched you, and your interaction with every person that you've come across? Every person that has cut across you on the highway? Every person that you have come into contact with? Can they look at you and say, you know what, that person right there is a Christian? Because I'm thinking about all the seven days that have gone past right now, and I'm, oh Lord. We have to. As I said, we're supposed to and we're called to. Love others and display to other people the love that Jesus gave to us. So let's take a few moments to look at how Jesus loved and loves. And that's going to give us a clear picture of what our loving others is supposed to look like. Because again, very clearly, he says, love as I have loved. So while we're there, we're also going to look at what it is that has possibly stopped us so far from displaying the same kind of love up to that point, up to this point, and why we need to overcome those obstacles. And then before I close, I'm going to look at how I believe we can get better at what it is that God wants us to do towards other people. So let's look at some of the ways that Jesus loves. Jesus loves indiscriminately. He loved indiscriminately when he was here in the flesh. It didn't matter who the people were, where they came from, What their status in life was, he loved them. Look at this in the book of Mark. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We are called and required to love everyone, irrespective of who they are or what our fleshly opinion of them might be. This is totally clear in God's word. But it's one of those things that as Christians we're prone to forget. Why is that? Well, because let's be honest, it's easier to forget that we shouldn't discriminate than it is to not discriminate. So in case you've forgotten, allow me this morning to be the one to remind you. You are required by God. In fact, you are commanded by God to love everyone. That means the person that you do not know at all. It means the person that you know too much about. It means the person that lives next door to you and drives you nuts with the loud music and the barking dog and the screaming kids. It's the person that works next to you that curses every other word or doesn't wear deodorant or maybe both. It's the homeless guy that you walk past outside Starbucks each day. It's the woman that looks like she's got it all together and drives the brand new Mercedes that you wish that you could own. It's your black neighbor. It's your white neighbor. And your Asian neighbor. And your Mexican neighbor that you just wish would speak English. It's your black president. It's your white president. It's people that you're offended by because you think that they are better than you. And it's people that you're offended by because you think you're better than them. It's everybody. It's zero discrimination. How's that for a challenge? But what about the people that don't love me? What about the people that hate me? What about my enemies? Well, that's a good question. And you know what? Surprise, surprise, Jesus had an answer for that as well. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Love your enemies. 
So while we're all digesting and processing that, let's move on to how else Jesus loves. He loves us unconditionally. He loves without condition. He loves us through whatever we do and whatever we don't do. He loves us even though we do not deserve it. And I know I do not deserve it. So here's another massive challenge for us. We are to love unconditionally. Our nature struggles with this one because we like to work on the basis of giving people what we think they deserve. We have no problem loving people if they've done what we believe deserves our love in return. But if people do the opposite, though, we want to give them what we think they deserve in return. We withhold our love. We hold it back as punishment for what it is that they did or didn't do for us. If someone is harsh or mean to us or cruel to us, our human response is often to be mean or cruel or harsh back. And if we're not mean back, we think that we're doing a good job, even if we're still withholding our love from them. We pat ourselves on the back and we think, well, what they deserve is me being cruel and harsh and vicious. But I'm not being cruel and harsh and vicious. So well done me. Well, maybe in your eyes you're doing a good job. Maybe you've told your best friend all about it, about how he did this and he did that. Or she did this and she did that. And your best friend is saying, well, you know what? He deserves for you to go and blah, 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 and you didn't do it. So well done you. Let me pat you on the back and tell you you're doing a great job. But let me ask you, did you ask God what he thought? Because you always need to ask God, what do you think about this God? Because I've learned this. Another human, whoever they are, is not qualified to judge my human response to any situation. Only God is. No human has the authority or the qualifications to judge my human response. So if you're telling somebody about something that you've done, And they're giving you a pat on the back and they're telling you what a wonderful Christian you are. Do two things. Firstly, check with God. And secondly, think about who your friends are. Because you need people who are going to point you in the right direction. Listen, love needs to be our response to love. But love needs to be our response to hate. It needs to be our response irrespective of what it is that we're being given. Proverbs 10.12 tells us this. It says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Love covers all offenses. And in case you're doubting that or questioning that, that includes offenses to you. You don't have a get-out clause. Love covers the offenses against you also if, if you allow it to and if you make it happen that way. When someone says or does something bad towards you, the hardest thing to do usually is to actively love them back. But that's the very thing that's going to diffuse the situation the fastest and the most effective way. Next time you're in an argument with somebody that you're supposed to be displaying love to, even if it's getting out of hand, if you can feel all of your flesh welling up inside of you and you just want to be harsh and speak your mind to them, instead of that, just say, hey, listen, I love you. This is not going well. Let's take a time out. Let's just split up. Let's just think about this. Let's cool off and let's come back together and speak about it again. Now that sounds easily done. And it's not in that moment easily done. But let me tell you, if you do that and you look back on that, it's going to be so much better of an outcome than going in the other direction. And you know, I read this scripture about how love covers all, and I had this visual in my brain of somebody coming at me, just angry and frustrated with their fists clenched and their, their face furrowed and just just running and just coming at me, and then me turning around and grabbing a great big 
wide, fluffy blanket with love written all over it and throwing it over them dramatically. Because love covers all. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all go out and buy these big, fluffy blankets. But what I am suggesting is this. Next time somebody comes at you angrily, why don't you verbally throw that blanket? Why don't you throw a verbal blanket over them? Why don't you have them come at you and just diffuse the situation by letting them know how much you love them? Love should be our default setting that's used in every circumstance, not just in response to love. So how else does Jesus love? He loves sacrificially. And we know this. We know that Jesus loves sacrificially. Every single Christian knows that Jesus died on the cross. Most Christians understand why he died on the cross to some extent. Many Christians can talk about the fact that he died on the cross for us. Few Christians love like Christ died for us. Few Christians love like Christ died for us. 1 John 4, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Loving sacrificially is, again, it's challenging. It's difficult for us to do consistently because, again, we're not wired that way. Loving sacrificially, though, is, again, a decision. It's something that we can be proactive in doing, and it's something that we can learn to do better and more often. It's something that becomes easier the more that we do it. And it's easier the more that we do it in God's strength and not our own. What does that mean? It means that we, we dig deep, we go into the Spirit, we basically do what God would have us do. We think about what it is that God would have and draw on His strength to do it and not on our own. And I'm going to be coming to, back to that in a moment. But let's just take a moment to dwell on why we should love this way, why we should love sacrificially. And it's not about being put on a guilt trip or to feel pressure because of what it is that Jesus did for us on the cross, but it is about having the right perspective and the right understanding that if Jesus went through what he went through, then me loving somebody sacrificially by doing for them instead of doing for myself pales into insignificance. There is nothing short of me basically being stripped down, carrying a cross on my back for miles, walking up and lifting up that cross, being nailed to that cross, being stripped naked and then stabbed in the side with a spear. Anything less than that pales pales into insignificance compared to that. That's the sacrifice that Jesus gave for me. So if I'm doing something less than that sacrificially for something at somebody else, then again, it pales into insignificance. But loving sacrificially is something I believe that we can do continually. It's something that's a way of life rather than one big thing. This is in the day-to-day. This is getting up and making your spouse a cup of coffee when you'd rather stay in bed. This is playing with your kids and running around the sofa for the 25th time when you'd rather sit down and watch the game on TV. This is giving your last $5 bill to the homeless guy outside of Starbucks instead of going in and using the $5 to buy yourself a coffee. Put simply, loving sacrificially is putting other people before yourself. Paul speaks about this to the Corinthians. He says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And get this, seek, seek, it's another action word. You cannot seek something without deciding that you are going to seek it. 
So what Paul is saying here is quite simple. Choose. Choose to look out for somebody else instead of for yourself. So each of us, we all struggle in different areas of our Christian walk. And some of us find it easy in some areas where other people do struggle. But one thing that we all have in common is this, I believe. We have the ability to be selfish. Some of us are better at it than others. Some of us, you know, selfishness is just our default setting. Some people have got the talent down. To some degree or another, we all have it within us. And there are many words that could be used to describe Jesus, but selfish is not one of them. Selfish is not one of them. So the last way that Jesus loves that I want to look at is this. Maybe the biggest challenge for us all, of all the ways that we need to copy. Jesus loves forgivingly. There is nothing that reduces our ability to love like Jesus more than our inability to forgive like Jesus. Let me say that again. There is nothing that reduces our ability to love like Jesus more than our inability to forgive like Jesus. If we have unforgiveness in our heart towards somebody, it prevents us loving them the way that we are commanded to love them. Look what we're called to do as Christians. Again, Paul writes to the Colossians here. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, that's you and me, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Can you see how love and forgiveness are completely intertwined? You cannot love the way that you are called to love whilst there is unforgiveness present. Unforgiveness is like a wall that blocks our love for others. And it goes back to what I was talking about earlier regarding conditional love. We hold back our love from those that we haven't forgiven because we don't think that they deserve our love. Now, you might not know how to forgive somebody. Let me give you some advice on how to do that. Decide to forgive them. Decide to forgive them. Whatever they did to you, let it go. Now, you might, not, you might be sat there thinking, well, that's not easy. Well, you know, I never said it was easy. I just said that that's what you need to do. You need to decide to forgive them, and whatever it is that they did against you, you need to let it go. The only way that you can erase how you feel about what happened is to erase how you feel about what happened. Because you can't erase what happened. It happened. You can't go back and change that. But what you can change is how you feel about that. And the problem with unforgiveness is that the feelings about what happened go on long after the event itself. And every time you replay the event, you relive the feelings. Listen, if somebody's done something to you in the past, I'm not making light of that and I'm not minimizing it in any way, shape or form. But since the time it happened that this person did such and such to you, you've both gone about your lives maybe separately, maybe you're still in each other's lives, I don't know. Maybe the other person who did that thing to you thinks about it on a regular basis. And maybe they're embarrassed and uncomfortable when they think about it. Maybe maybe they've never thought about it since it happened. Maybe they never even knew that it happened. How many people here are carrying an offense that they haven't even spoken to the other person about? They don't even know what's going on. I'm sure I've offended some of you and I don't even know that I've done that. But the difference is this. Because you received that hurt. You received that pain. They did this thing to you. What it means is that every time you think about it, 
you relive the same pain. You relive the same hurt, the same emotions, the same sense of disappointment. You are replaying and replaying and replaying and replaying and replaying the same feelings and emotions that were sparked off by something that happened potentially years ago. And it's those feelings that cause us resentment and hurt that makes the other person, again, we feel that they don't deserve our forgiveness. But here's the reality. Because those feelings repeat and repeat and repeat every time we think about and recall the event, not forgiving them punishes you way more than it does punish them. You need to recalibrate your heart. You need to remove bitterness and unforgiveness from your heart. And here's another instruction on this in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now let me make another point on this and reinforce the same point that I've already made a couple of times so far. Paul is speaking to these people and he's saying, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. He's talking to what? He's talking to a bunch of people. We've discovered this already, that the you must is an unqualified and generalized you. It's a you and it's a you. And it's a you for every single person that Paul is writing to in his church of Ephesus. He's saying to them, do this, do this, do this, which means what? It means that they have the choice and the ability to do it. They can put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. They can choose to put those things aside. They can choose to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave them. So by being commanded to love as Jesus did, we're commanded to love indiscriminately, unconditionally, sacrificially, and forgivingly. Look at this summary of what love should look like. It's 1 Corinthians 13. You've all heard this. This is a scripture which is used at weddings. And again, if we're not careful, when we read this scripture and hear this scripture, we can have all of these you know, weddings and roses and happy days and happy days and all the fluffy stuff about love come to mind. But that's not what he's talking about here. Paul is telling us what love is. Not how love makes us feel. He's talking about what love is. Let me tell you what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, endures all things. And that is the love that Jesus modeled. And that's the love that we should display to others. So why don't we? What are some of the ways and some of the reasons that we fall short of what God expects from us in loving others? Because we all fall short in this. So what's stopping us from loving this way? Many things, I believe. But I think there are three main ones that I'm covering here. What's stopping us? Number one, hurt. Our nature is such that we get hurt. When we get hurt, we protect ourselves. It's in the nature of every living thing that if they get hurt in a certain way, they are cautious about getting hurt that way again. If you have a dog when you go home from, from work or wherever it is or from church this afternoon and your dog comes bouncing down the pavement with his tongue wagging at you and just all looking all happy and everything, when he gets to you, kick it. I'm not saying it's an instruction, it's an example, so don't please, don't shoot me down. Kick it. 
And then when you come home tomorrow and your dog's bounding down the pavement, kick it again. And see how many days it, it takes before the dog starts coming down the pavement. He's going to stop. Why is he going to stop? He's going to, because he's going to know that if he puts himself in that position, he's going to get hurt. And isn't that exactly what we do with relationships? We get hurt in a relationship and then the next time we might try it again. But then when we get hurt again, you know what? I'm not going down that pavement. I'm not going down that pathway. I'm going to stay well off of that pathway. Because every time I go down that pathway, I get kicked in the head. That's the choice and the decision that it is that we make. When we've been hurt in a relationship, we're more cautious the second time. And even more cautious the third time round. Now listen, if you cut your hand really badly and it heals... And then you cut your hand again in exactly the same place. It's going to heal back even thicker and with a callus that's really hard to cut through a third time. And our emotional heart can be the exact same way. Each time it gets hurt, it becomes harder and it becomes more calloused. We protect ourselves from the hurt that's coming in. But by doing so, we prevent the love coming out. The fact is, and this is not easy, I get it. We shouldn't let how we have been treated in the past limit how we treat other people today. We should not. People need to be loved. People need your love. If you are holding your love back from somebody today because of somebody yesterday, it's wrong. And it's not what you're called to do. So what else is stopping us? Fear. Our fear comes in all shapes and sizes. It can stop us from loving the way that we're called to do because, again... We naturally base what we do on what response we are likely to get. Loving totally unconditionally would mean that we would love irrespective of what the response toward us is going to be or is possibly going to be. Instead of that, we limit how we love others because we are afraid. Maybe we're afraid of the unknown. We don't know how this person is going to respond. And I don't want to open myself up to that unless I know how they're going to react to it. Fear of rejection. This is a huge one when it comes to loving people. Again, this is making our love conditional. I will only give you love if you accept it. Loving unconditionally would look more like this. It would be, here's my love. I'm loving you and I don't care what you do with the love I'm giving you. But I'm giving you it with no strings attached. And without any expectation. Which leads me to the last reason that we don't love the way we're called to. Unrealistic and hypocritical expectations. One of the most amazing things that I've noticed about human nature. As a pastor, I get to counsel with people, and obviously I'm around people a lot. And I include myself in this. But one of the most amazing things I've found about the human nature, and I don't mean amazing in a good way, is how able we are to expect and demand something from other people that we are not doing ourselves. And how able we are to judge people for things that they're doing when we're doing the same things or maybe things that are even worse. It's mind-boggling, but it's absolutely true. I know you've been guilty of it because everybody has to some degree or another. Who someone is, what they do, what they've been doing in the past, the way that they speak, the way that they dress or the way that they don't dress, the way that they smell, the way that they react to us. The list goes on and on. None of that should stop us from loving them. It may stop us hanging out with them. And using godly wisdom, it may make us cautious to be around them. But it should not stop us from loving them. There are people in your life that it's not right for you to hang around with. There are people in your life that it's dangerous for you to hang around with, maybe, from a physical or emotional or a spiritual extent. 
That may be the case. And I'm going to tell you, if you tell me about them, I'm going to say stay away from them. But love them. Love them. You don't have to be with somebody to display love. And the first stage of that is, is not judging them. You might not want to be around somebody because of who they are or what they do or where they go. But love them. Whilst they are doing that thing, being that person and going where it is that they're going. And do not judge them for being who they are, what they're doing or where it is that they are going. Because you cannot judge and love at the same time. You cannot judge and love at the same time. And when it comes to close relationships that we have with our families, with our kids, with our spouses... Oftentimes, if they don't meet our expectations in any area, that's going to prevent us from loving them in the exact same way. And we have to be very, very careful about the expectations that we put on the people who are around us. We think that they should know us better, and they do. My wife knows me better than anybody at all, and I know I have sometimes unrealistic expectations of her. She has totally realistic expectations of me, and yet I sometimes fall short of those things. But when that happens, we are still called to love each other. If my wife doesn't meet the expectations that I have for her in a certain area, then I should love her exactly the same way as if she had met the expectations. But we have to be careful on what expectations we set in the first place. We've got Kobe and Elijah here. Kobe is 15, Elijah is 4. And it's my role as the head of the household to lead the home in such a way that we, as parents, are educating and teaching our kids that they are growing up. But it would be ridiculous of me to put the same, same expectations on Elijah as I do Kobe. And how would it be if I, if I gave Elijah expectations that a 15-year-old should have, and then because Elijah as a 4-year-old failed to meet those expectations, I withhold my love from this 4-year-old here. Because he didn't meet the expectations that I'd set on him, which were unrealistic. Be careful of that with your family, with your kids, with your spouses. We all should be helping each other, loving each other, encouraging each other. And you know what? The bottom line is this, and I say this to Molly oftentimes. You know, my opinion is this. I like to see the best in people. But my opinion is this. In some way or another, in some shape or form, we're all out there trying to do the very best that we can. Ultimately, when push comes to shove. Some of us are doing a better job than others. But we have to treat people with grace and with mercy and not by judging them for not meeting our expectations. So we've looked at the way that we're supposed to love. We're supposed to love as Jesus loves. We've looked at some of the things that are stopping us from doing it. But how can we get better at it? How can we do what it is that we're being commanded to do? How can we love like Jesus loves? So I want to take a second and look at part of the first scripture that we looked at today. Going back to Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38 this time. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here's why I want to look at this scripture again. It's my belief that if we get our vertical relationship with God right our horizontal relationships with other people will improve. I believe that the more consistently we fulfill the first commandment of loving God, then the more equipped we become to fulfill the second of loving other people. The more loving our relationship is with God, the more loving our relationships with people will be. The more open we are to receiving God's indiscriminate, 
unconditional, sacrificial and forgiving love, the more we are able to give those things to those people around us. Here's what I believe. The amount of love we have to give horizontally is determined by the amount of love we accept vertically. The more love we receive from God, the more we have to give out to those people around us. You pour anything into a cup to the point of overflow. It needs to go somewhere. If you have a cup on a desk and you pour water in it, the water will overflow, and then where will it go? It will go on the desk, and it will, we're pouring it down vertically, and then it's going to go out horizontally on the tabletop. God's love is the very same thing. We're that vessel. He's pouring in vertically. The more that we have, the more that we accept, the more that we take from him, the more it's going to overflow and spread out horizontally to the people who are around us. Don't try so hard to do what it is that you think God wants you to do. Try instead to let God do what God does through you. Don't do what you think he wants you to do. Allow him to do what he does through you. Love other people with his love and not yours. You know, I want people to feel God's love, not mine. Me showing my love for somebody You know, that might well change their day. But me showing God's love to someone might very well change their lives. So let's work on giving God's love to other people and not ours. But we can't give what we don't have. Our loving others starts with accepting God's love. Hear me. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you indiscriminately, whoever you are. He loves you unconditionally, however your life looks right now. He loves you sacrificially. He died on the cross to pay the price for your sins so that you may be saved. And he loves you forgivingly. Everything you have done, whatever that may be, his love and his death has wiped your slate clean. And you are forgiven if you accept that love. If you accept his love. Would you bow your heads where you're at right now?